Good morning, everyone. We want to welcome all of you on this beautiful day, and especially our guests and visitors and our friends who are joining us online. My name is Naya Swami Anandi. This is Naya Swami Bharat. I'm going to convey the uh, regrets of Jyotish and Devi, who got called away at the last minute. But they are looking forward to seeing you uh, next Sunday. So we'll read today from Rays of the One Light, which are weekly commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita. This week's reading is The Importance of Soul Receptivity. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Chapter 1 of the Gospel of St. John states, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. This was a passage Paramahansa Yogananda often quoted to his disciples. Be in tune, he would tell them. Delusion can't touch you if you will keep in tune. A few of you will fall, he said once, but it needn't be if you would stay in tune. Of a disciple who became highly advanced, even though she didn't meditate much, he said, she got there by attunement. To one who found meditation difficult, he said, I will meditate for you as long as you stay in tune. Truth is a state of consciousness, not a well-worded definition. It is in that consciousness, above all, that our lives are transformed. Therefore, the Bhagavad Gita says in the 10th chapter, to those who are ever attached to me and who worship me with love, I impart discernment by means of which they attain me. Out of my love for them, I, the divine within them, set alight in them the radiant lamp of wisdom, thereby dispelling the darkness of their ignorance. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh, when I was in third grade. <laughs> I'd like to read first from Whispers from Eternity by Paramahansa Yogananda. <clears throat> With the soft finger touches of my soul intuition, I tune the radio of my inner perception 
At first I caught only the sounds of nearby experience. Then came a symphony of inner harmony, followed by sweet strains from my heart's orchestra of finer feelings. Then came the swelling chorus of my age-long cravings for thee. All these I caught on the radio of my soul as I kept tuning my perception, waiting to catch the whispers of thy voice, O guardian angel of all souls. With infinite patience, I went on tuning my radio. At last, when I almost prepared to give up further trying, thy song burst upon my heart. O let me broadcast through my every word now the chorus of thy songs. In our reading today, the Gita, the Guru promises us that we'll receive their help if we just enter on the quest. And it takes great energy, uh, great wisdom uh, to try to find God. I was thinking of that journey. It's like the Master said that our consciousness identified with ego is like a cubic foot, square foot of air. And then once we release identification with the ego, it expands out to one million cubic feet of air. And there's a lot of growth and a giving up of limitation when you go from being identified with a small little part of matter to all of infinity. And you need help along the way, don't you? Uh, I uh, remember when I was uh, 11 years old, uh, my uncle was a very great fisherman. And I started to get interested in fly fishing because that, that's what he did. And so he lent me his equipment, and I practiced on the lawn. And then the big day came when we were going up to the Yuba River to fly fish around uh, Sierra City. And uh, he paired me up with an 80-year-old fly fisherman that was very master fly fisherman, uh, Dick Churd. And uh, we uh, were going down to the river, and being full of enthusiasm, I'd only thrown my fly out on lawn before. Uh, there was the river, and I was ready to just attack the river and just go right at it. I was just so excited. And he just sort of kind of pulled me on the back of my shirt and said, let's sit down by the river, and, uh, and let's just watch the water. And so we were, oh, maybe 30 feet above the water, and he, uh, I watched where the water flowed and, um, uh, and where the insects were around the river and where the fish were and how they were feeding. And we sat there for 20 minutes, uh, and then we went and, and fished. And uh, what did he teach me? He taught me patience. He taught me attunement uh, with the river and all these different things. And if I had to learn those things just to catch a darn fish, which I don't remember if I did or not. Uh, just think what it takes to find God. It's, uh, Swami said that the search for God would be impossible without an avatar, uh, without the power and the magnetism uh, of, of the avatar. A master said that whenever you, uh, whenever you pray or meditate, uh, think of me and you'll feel a great reinforcement of power. And it's by their magnetism. Swami tells the story of a disciple of master, a woman disciple in Encinitas. And uh, his sense of her, I think it was when he was just new with master, but this woman just had a radiant joy, just very beautiful. But one day she decided to follow another path. And master said, very well, I withdraw my ray. 
And then, uh, sadly, uh, this woman returned after many months, and he said she just didn't. Ha- uh, she just had a, a worldly consciousness, and it was the power of the guru that uh, had uh, shown through her. Swami said he's so impressed in watching people newly arrive at Ananda to our path, and they make uh, so uh, they progress. Uh, so deeply and, and quickly, uh, uh, especially in contrast to the amount of hours that they're meditating. And just the, you know, the 20 minutes or an hour a day that they're meditating, uh, this, the incredible changes that have gone on in people's lives are just so dramatic. And if we look back at our life, uh, it's the same, isn't it? Where we just feel this incredible joy that is really backing our efforts and God is saying, this is the way to find me. This is what you'll find when you do find me. I want to talk about uh, three things that can help us in our soul receptivity. One is to cooperate with the guru. All of our life experience, especially when we get on the path, as we know, is guided by God. God has a plan for our liberation. And everything that comes to us is part of that plan. And we have to deeply, uh, deeply accept it. There, I was talking to one individual uh, from uh, another Ananda community, and she was working with something that was very challenging for her. It was very difficult, and it went on for, been going on for two years. And at a certain point, she just had enough of it. She just said, uh, "This is too hard." And uh, but I could see that. Uh, uh, she was growing a lot through uh, sticking with it. And I likened her experience to, uh, well, actually, I should preface before I continue. I, I once had a dream of Master in a white coat with a big mirror on his forehead, and he was a heavenly doctor. <laughs> and he, he, just, he didn't say anything to me. He just kind of motioned like that and had me sit down. And then he kind of went through each of my chakras just to see how they were doing, and I hope he helped each of my chakras open. So anyway, I sort of had this image in my mind. And I said, well, it's like the guru has you on the operating table. And uh, he has you halfway done the surgery. And then you decide, gee, this is just too hard. I'm out of here. Uh, it just that doesn't make sense, does it? <laughs> and, uh, and that's, uh, you know, when thing, we always like the process to be short and sweet. <laughs> But the longer the process is, uh, and you could say more intense, um, uh, the more uh, free of karma we are and, uh, and the more inner growth that happens. And we just have to trust that. It's, it's a challenge. Uh, I remember having a dream about seven years ago of Swami and just saying that um, uh, I just felt this looming karma and just that he was saying something was coming my way. And uh, I just, okay. <laughs> and uh, it, it was a lot of karma. Uh, but it's like, uh, you know, we, we just, it's, it's a gift from God. And we grow through it. Uh, we, uh, we raise our energy level, don't we, uh, when we have that challenge. So to cooperate completely with God, uh, and that means with every life experience that, that comes to us. Is they, uh, you know, Christ, when he told the, uh, the, the gathering uh, to uh, eat my flesh and drink my blood, and it said none walked with him anymore, and then he turned to his disciples 
And they said, where would we go? It's like we, we know that uh, we've had enough life experience, haven't we, uh, in terms of trusting the guru and trusting what comes to us and following that and just seeing the tremendous blessings uh, that come through that. Another is to focus always on the guru. And, uh, you know, Raj, uh, Ra- uh, Master Yogananda was asked, uh, why was Rajasi such a great disciple? And uh, Master said, well, Rajasi, he knew how to listen. And I think of uh, our attention as sort of like a shortwave radio. It has two modes on it. Uh, uh, one is uh, send, and that's when we can broadcast. And that's the ego trying to shape life for its own preferences. And uh, that's when we can communicate out to the world, but we can't learn anything from the world, can we? Uh, That shortwave radio has another mode, and that's receive. And that's when we can learn from life. And that's when we, uh, we receive. And it's a tremendous difference from once we stop our own individual uh, momentum, how can we uh, commune with the momentum of the guru? Uh, the guru's consciousness is just right here at the spiritual eye. And the more that we focus there, we're in tune with that consciousness. There's a, a power, as Swami talks about, the guru can just lift the disciple out of the ego. And the ego can't do it uh, itself uh, and doesn't want to do it itself. It's having too much fun. <laughs> but it's only temporary fun that's gone on for, was it, five million lifetimes. <laughs> Master once said he attracts stubborn people. <laughs> and when you think how long it takes a soul to be liberated, you have to admit that we're all a little bit stubborn. Uh, <laughs> another... Uh, Oh, I want to tell, uh, there's a beautiful story in the autobiography, though, of just, uh, of just being quietly in tune with the guru and not having your own momentum going. Uh, Master was in college, Serampur College, and he had a roommate who, he, uh, who also uh, began uh, going to Sri Yogananda's Yogananda's guru's uh, ashram. And after class, they would go to the ashram. And one day, Sri Yogananda wasn't there. And one of the disciples said that he had gone to Calcutta and that uh, uh, he'd be back. And the next day, Master received a note uh, from uh, Sri Teshwar saying that he'd be on uh, the 9 o'clock uh, train. Well, the next day, uh, Master Yogananda was waiting to just go to the train station. And the other disciple, because Sri Teshwar said he was going to be at the 9 a.m., uh, uh, arrival, uh, he was going to meet Sri Yukteswar there, and, and Yogananda told him that, well, I have this intuition that, uh, uh, that he's coming at nine, or he's not coming at nine. And, uh, and so uh, the fellow said, ha, I'd rather uh, take Master's written word than your intuition. And so he went. And uh, Sri Yukteswar didn't show up at the 8.30 train, the 9 or the 9.30 train. And he came back a little bit discouraged, didn't know where Shikteshwar was. And uh, in the meantime, Shikteshwar came to Yogananda and smiled at Yogananda and said, I'm glad that you picked up my message. And then Yogananda, of course, had knelt at his feet and Shikteshwar said, I'm coming uh, uh, on the uh, 10 o'clock train. And so he dragged his friend 
back to the train. And his friend went unwillingly a little bit. And there was Sheikh Teshwar. And Sheikh Teshwar told how he would arrive, the clothes he would wear, and their little boy out in front carrying a silvery jug. And, uh, and, the, the, uh, and Sheikh Teshwar said to uh, uh, Yogananda's roommate, uh, I sent you a message too. Uh, 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 and uh, I guess you didn't receive it. And, uh, and this made that uh, Dijon, I think that's how you say his name, uh, he got very suspicious. He thought Yogananda had withheld the message that was for him. <laughs> so when he got Yogananda alone, he said, what did you do with that message? Why did you hide it? I want you to explain. <laughs> and then that's when uh, Yogananda talked about the vision uh, of uh, Sheikh Teshwar coming to him. And, uh, you know, uh, Yogananda, he talked about anybody can talk to God, but it's when God talks back to you that uh, that's when, of course, that's what we really want. And it's through always keeping the consciousness of the Guru uh, in our heart. Because uh, when we do that, uh, and when God sees that that's the only thing that we want, uh, then we've sort of solved the, the puzzle of creation, as, as Master said. And because we want to get to the point where we love God more than his gifts, more than anything in his creation. And then to, to concentrate more on giving rather than receiving. In, the, uh, in Lord's France, uh, many pilgrims go there and there's been, many bless- or there's been some blessings. Uh, over six million pilgrims go a year to Lord's and hoping for a miracle. And uh, out of those six million, just a few uh, receive uh, a true blessing. And they, uh, they did a study about all those people that did receive a blessing at Lourdes. And uh, the people that did, uh, they asked them, what were you thinking uh, when you were healed? And all of them said, I was praying for others. They weren't thinking of themselves. Uh, there's a, a woman in Ananda village uh, uh, her father uh, was a very positive uh, man, but there was some, some karma that came to him where he felt this heaviness, and it was depression, and it just came out of nowhere, and it wasn't typical uh, of him, and he just couldn't get rid of it. And she was sitting with him in the, their living room uh, one day, and he got up to go to another room, and he got halfway across the room, and then he became very, very still and quiet for, it must have been a minute or two minutes. And then he turned around and he said to his daughter, the Ananda village resident, I've been healed of this heaviness. And then the phone rang. And it was a friend of his saying, I'm in Lourdes and I just finished praying for you. And, you know, I, I was thinking about that quality of giving. You know, the, the whole spiritual path is that we're trying to get out of the ego. What is the ego? The ego is being self-identified with the body and personality, a little part of matter. It's a little vortex of energy that refers everything back to itself. This is, um, uh, the, uh, you know, on a crash level, this is sort of the receiving. I want to just have everything come to itself. And Paramahansa Yogananda said that the, uh, to how to develop a good habit is take the opposite track of the bad habit. What is the opposite track 
of receiving. It's giving, isn't it? And uh, when we uh, have that consciousness, then we, we become more like God. God's nature is to give. The nature of bliss is to share. And God is bliss. And he has wanted to share his bliss with all these different uh, manifestations of creation, including each one of us. And to, to be on God's wavelength uh, requires that in, in meditation. Uh, I, I came to Ananda in 1975 and joined the monastery and a lot of young guys. And uh, we uh, had a lot of enthusiasm and there was a lot of grace uh, at Ananda at that time. And um, we could meditate long hours. And I asked Swami uh, once if he had... Uh, any advice for my meditations? And Swami said, just a short phrase. It had me thinking for a little bit about it. Uh, he said, keep Divine Mother first. Because meditation is a self-offering. It's a giving of all that we are. It's not trying to receive anything. And the more that we offer ourselves uh, purely like that, uh, then the more that we're on the wavelength of purity. And it's in that purity that God can come to us and that we can take what he gives to us in the right way. I have a, a, a friend uh, that uh, came to uh, a Share Nature workshop in Brazil, and she was a yogi, not on our path, but she was intrigued by Ananda, and she came to visit and stayed at the Expanding Light. And she was par uh, parked out in her tent uh, across the meadow, and it was her first night here. And Yogananda appeared to her uh, in her dream. And uh, he looked at her. Her name was Hoberta. And, uh, and he said one word to her. And uh, then she left Ananda. And she went to uh, go to graduate school in the United States. And she lived by that word. She really took it to heart. And as uh, she just... Brazilians are very loving people anyway, but she was particularly loving. She just gave support to everybody. All the other grad students just loved her. The professors loved her. And one of the, uh, I went back uh, to give a, a lecture, and uh, several of the heads of the department, uh, they just talked about uh, how Roberta had transformed the whole uh, department uh, through, uh, through her energy, through living by that word. Well, the word also means om, but that wasn't what Master said. Uh, but the word that he said was give. And that's what she just thought about the whole time. And when we're in the mode of giving, we aren't in the mode of taking. We aren't contractive, but we're expansive. And there's no thought of self, and we're on the wavelength, as I was talking about, uh, of God himself, uh, when we have that quality. I've been uh, reading about Taoism because uh, we have uh, now a big work in China, and I found that Taoism uh, is something that uh, they, um, they really dearly love, and they, they understand deep truths uh, through what they have learned through Taoism. And I wanted to be able to uh, refer to things that they understood to be able to convey uh, uh, different points. And they love water. And uh, they just talk about how water has no preconceived uh, uh, objectives. Uh, it just knows where it's going. It flows. It's very humble. And it doesn't scramble 
uh, but it just just flows. And they're really talking about non-effort. And and then when they say that when the mind uh, becomes still, the whole universe uh, uh, just uh, well. I'll, let's see. I forgot the last part of it. <laughs> Yeah, the, uh, the whole universe surrenders. And, uh, you know, uh, our intuition, another word for intuition is calm feeling. And feeling is perceived in the heart. And Swami talks about how the reason it divides up life and analyzes life, but it's the heart that uh, uh, puts it all together and has a un- uh, feels the unity of all creation. And so, of course, uh, it, it's uh, all these different things. Of, you know, it's the ego that keeps things agitated. So all these things that calm the ego in our meditation practices that give this stillness, uh, then we can feel, we'll feel more and more of God. Yogananda said that if you can calm your body, if you can calm your thoughts, if you can calm your emotions, you'll feel your universal body and you'll feel the great bliss of God. But he said it's the fascination with the ego that uh, keeps us from doing it. But this is something that is dying down and uh, is hard, you know, so little expressed at Ananda. And we've, uh, it's such a beautiful, that's what makes the community so beautiful. You know, devotion is having a steady heart and is when we can sustain our concentration on God, that's when we become absorbed with God. That's when, we, uh, that's when God reveals himself to us in all the glory. And so let's more and more this year just offer everything that we are to God, hold nothing back, and uh, just moment to moment, think of the Guru, be in the grace of the Guru, feel his love, and offer our love uh, to him and to everyone we meet. Bless you all.